Thanks for coming in, Mr. Mahoney. Do you have your member ID card? Yep, I have it right here in the FEP Blue app. See? Great. It's can I... awesome. The app can also help me find a provider and keep tabs on my deductibles. Okay, can I... Oh, yeah, and my out-of-pocket spending and visit limits, and I can call the nurse line. I'm really glad it does all that, but I only need to see your member ID card. Oh, that's it? Why didn't you say so? Fearless is just one tap away. With the new FEP Blue app from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you can access your health benefits on the go. Download it now at fepblue.org app. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Freeman, joined by my co-host, Alan Sterk. Tonight we are doing our rapid reaction to the Falcons 38-32, week 17, second seed clinching win over their hated rival, the New Orleans Saints. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. All right, Alan, uh, let's uh, talk about what we want to talk about after tonight, today's thrilling victory. I know people are going to talk about how the first half was so dominant, but I just thought both lines played a lot better in this game compared to last week. You saw Ryan got great protection for most of the game. Cameron Jordan was mostly a non-factor. Fairly had that one sack, but I thought he was limited. Obviously, Rankins got injured, but besides that, even when New Orleans blitzed, they couldn't really get to Ryan, and I thought that was big given that you want to see this team get back to their best, especially when it comes to pass protection, where it's been sketchy at times this year, but at the same time, when this offense plays at the best, it usually comes from having great protection. We saw that against Green Bay. It's Arizona. Obviously, you saw that in the first meeting against New Orleans, so I thought that was big, and defensive line, I know Ingram ran for over 100 yards, but I thought the run D in the first half played relatively well, and then the pass rush got to breeze a couple of times. So compared to previous matchups against the Saints, I thought both lines played damn well. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can go with you on the uh, offensive line play. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and, I you know, we only gave up 69 yards on 15 carries in, in the first half. Um, you know, on a relative sense, that's a pretty good performance for our run defense as it's shown itself to be for a, a good chunk of this season. Um, so yeah, definitely an improvement in that regard. Um, you know, I think what you said with the offensive line playing well, you know, I think the off, the offense was magnificent in the first half of the game sort of tailed off in, in the second half, but you know, I don't really care that much about that. Um, you know, I think they, they made a statement with their performance in the first half to be as explosive and be as dominant as they were. You know, Devontae Freeman getting that 75-yard touchdown. Uh, didn't see him, you know, really having that sort of gear. Uh, eventually, you know, as he broke loose on that, I was like, oh, someone's going to catch him. And no one caught him. And, uh, you know, overall, I think a, a very – Strong performance for the offense. No real complaints for the performances of the players on the field at whatsoever for me. Um, overall, you know, I think Jalen Collins had another really strong game. It seemed like Drew Brees was going at him and Brian Poole um, pretty much every time he dropped back the throw, it seemed like. Uh, I don't know how many targets. I'm, I'm, let me look up how many targets. Thomas had 14. Snead had four. Um, Cooks had six. So I think our secondary definitely stepped up. Um, probably I would probably put more on on their performance over the defensive lines, but that's my own personal hang up, I guess. 
they broke out 12 passes altogether. Deion Jones and Jalen Collins tied with three breakups. So, yeah, they were very active. But it was interesting because Breeze, I thought he was more aggressive than in previous matchups. Usually you see Breeze a little more conservative, especially on the road. I guess given that he's going against the Falcons defense, he can be aggressive. But he was taking shots, and obviously with his receiver trio, you don't blame him. At the same time, though, I'm really interested to see how Robert Alford did against Brent Cooks, because Cooks was, once again, non-factor. He had three catches, fight 19 yards. And you've noticed the past two weeks, Quinn is looking at the opposing receiving core, and he's going to match his corners with the best possible matchup. You saw Collins cover Thomas, Poole cover Snead, and Cooks, obviously Alford matched him up. So to me, you saw the same thing against Carolina, where Alford covered Ginn, Benjamin, you saw him against Collins, and then they kind of pool had his different kinds of whether it was Funches or Philly Brown. But I, it's interesting the last two weeks that Quinn's not really focused on putting a player at a certain spot. He's going to move him around and he expects them to match him up well. Yes, all everything you just said, I agree with Alan. And I also would like to point out that after 200 plus episodes of, of doing this podcast together, you, you said core instead of corpse for the first time ever. So congratulations there. Is that an upgrade? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I do want to point out, because we did bring up the 75-yard touchdown. If you watch the replay, uh, Ryan Schrader just crushes yeah. Nick Fairley. Yeah. Oof. Just, yeah. I looked, obviously him and Chester, they did, had a double team, but uh, Chester went to the second level to go take out LRB. You just saw it fairly, completely off balance. And credit to Toy Lolo hanging there with Cam Jordan and uh, Mohamed Sanu, who it's a roller coaster ride when it comes to him as a blocker, but <laughs> yeah. he took Roman Harper there. And everything, look, when it comes to a big run like that, you're going to need contributions from everyone, or at least positioning wise, when you look at the receiver, tight end, and offensive line. And you got it on that play. Yeah, you, you talk about the roller coaster ride with Sanu. Um, it's every game you're going to get like a really great block from him that's going to help, uh, you know, spring a, a big run or a screen or something like that. And then there's going to be at least one play where you're like, he didn't block that guy at all, you know, and that could have been a touchdown if he had blocked that guy or at least a, a bigger play or something like that. So, um, you know, that's the, the Sanu coaster, I guess, to go with that. He had a couple of nice catches in this game. Generally quiet, you know, relative, you know, I think Justin Hardy and Julio and, and Devontae and, and, and Coleman also had a couple of nice plays, didn't get too many touches today, but I think he definitely made the most of it, uh, you know, like something like 50, 60 total yards on like 11 touches. Um, and even Toy Lolo uh, made a contribution in your boy, Nick Williams as well. So Matt Ryan was able to really spread the ball around. Uh, four different players got touchdowns: Julio, Hardy, Sanu, and, and Coleman. Um, and Freeman, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so five different players got touchdowns. So um, yeah, certainly a, a strong performance for the Falcons' offense all around. I thought Aldrick Robinson. Uh, I know only had two catches, but once again, you just see the way he separates for them. It's just pure speed. But at the same time, I think he's a pretty crafty route I don't think he gets enough credit for that. You just know Aldrick Robinson has this deep threat. Just really wearing traffic, not really known for much else, but he's a better route runner than I thought. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. You know, it, it seemed like in Washington it was basically he just ran goes and posts and whatnot. Um, 
but he seems to being added a little bit more to his repertoire here in Atlanta. Um, you mentioned Breeze. Um, I thought he was a little off. It, I'll be curious to see if, if that sort of that perception still lingers after I see the All-22 this week. But it seemed like his accuracy was a little off, um, not necessarily because he was facing a ton of pressure. I, like I think the Falcons were able to get after him at times. But it just seemed like a couple of his throws, particularly a lot of those ones that we ended up breaking up, or the Falcons, I know, Helen, you hate how I, I say we, um, that the Falcons ended up breaking up, I think, were a little off target. Like that one that Collins had on the, the INT um, in the end zone, great play by Collins. I don't want to take anything away from it, but it seemed like Drew Brees threw upfield when he should have thrown more to Thomas's back shoulder. And it allowed Collins, who was in good position regardless, but it allowed him to, to get positioning and, and pick off the pass as opposed to just breaking it up, I guess. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I also want to point out that third down on the first drive, people are – look, Campbell ran step for step with Kobe Fleener. That's wonderful. But at the same time, the Breeze threw the ball poorly. And look, I don't think Fleener would have got the first down, but it would have been close. So that's another example. It just comes off – my mind when it comes to Breeze being accurate. But look, quarterbacks are going to miss some throws. Not won't be perfect like the potential MVP, Matt Ryan. Fair enough. If you, if you like that little swing. But, uh, yeah, it, Breeze, uh, both games this year, you see a couple plays where uh, he could have thrown more interceptions. I think Keanu Neal probably should have had an interception. Brian Poole came close a few times. So, can't win them all. At the end of the day, once again, Falcons winning the turnover battle in a game where you knew it was going to be high scoring. And with this defense, obviously, there's still limitations. Forcing one turnover it could have been the difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we we spent uh, – certainly I spend a lot of time on this podcast nitpicking the defense. Um, I think overall, you know, until the very end, I thought they played uh, very well for the most part. Uh, you know, not a great overall performance. But uh, certainly more than good enough with the offense um, scoring. I just always sort of find it funny where, you know, the offense puts up 35 points in the first half and basically scores every time they touch the ball, uh, you know, and, and is marching up and down the field. And, you know, you see people on Twitter saying, oh, the defense is playing pretty well, I think. It's like, you know, I think the more exceptional thing that worthy of pointing out is sort of the offense's performance. And I, I feel like because the offense has been so good and so consistent throughout this year, talking about how good they are gets a little dull and boring. And, and it's allowed people over these last couple of months to sort of get into the nitty gritty of picking apart whether this defense is improving and, and all these sorts of things. You um, know, I think today's game was no different than that. An, another outstanding performance by the offense. Um, you know, the defense generally was effective until the last quarter of the game. Um, and, uh, you know, we can, you know, how, how people want to parse that is up to them. Uh, but, you know, my my attitude all along the season, and this, has, this game didn't change it one bit, is the Falcons are going to win and lose based off of how well their offense plays. And I think that this offense inspired a lot of confidence for people to, to feel like they're going to be firing on all cylinders um, going into the playoffs. They had a lot of 13 points in the first half, and it was a couple of three and outs as well. So I do think the defense is a little more crazy. It's just crazy how New Orleans scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. Like, they didn't even score a point in the third quarter. Just how this game became competitive to him was just very bizarre. But look, Drew Brees is going to attack that zone. 
especially when he gets protection. So I'm not putting too much significance into the fourth quarter. Maybe uh, they could have been a little more aggressive offense, or obviously they could have put Schaub in earlier. But at the same time, it was a little bit of an awkward situation. But other than that, I think everything went smoothly. I think we should probably touch on Julio Jones, who I thought looked very explosive in this game, especially in that touchdown. Safe to say he's ready to go for the playoffs. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't know what else needs to be said. It, it, he did look a lot um, healthier this week. Um, I was, you know, my my big thing takeaway from this game. My big negative, you know, because everybody knows I always have to have something that I got to complain about it, even after the Falcons win. Um, was sort of not pulling the starters um, at a certain point in the third quarter. Uh, you know, after Julio got a couple of catches, I was like, oh, I'm good. Like I don't, I don't, you know. After his like fourth or fifth catch, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Julio uh, reps at this point in time. But I, you know, I think he looked very well, uh, very good um, throughout this game. And, and you're, and you're right. He did look like he was a lot closer to 100 percent than we've seen from him in, in quite a bit of time. So that's certainly a positive moving forward. The Saints really weren't jamming him at the line of scrimmage. It seemed like he got a lot of free releases, so he could have benefited from that. But at the same time. You still could see that explosiveness back. Like you saw the footwork and the way he juked. So to me, I think that's very encouraging. The fact that he got two red zone targets, which I know has become a big complaint. Uh, at least he got that and obviously scored on the fade, which kind of funny, two, two fades, two touchdowns this year. But like I mentioned on Twitter, it, it seems like the NFC South defense is the only defenses that don't double-team Julio near the goal line. It's just it's very weird, so... Who knows? Maybe if they play Seattle in the divisional round, put Sherman on, try to exploit that. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think there's a good point. Um, you know, we'll we'll have to see if the Saints were really jamming them, but that's a sign of of when Julio's, um, you know, being Julio when he's at full capacity, so to speak. Because I always think about that Dallas game from last year in the second half, where Dallas did a really good job containing him in the first half of that game because they were mostly trying to jam him at the line of scrimmage. And then they just let him get free releases um, pretty much the entire second half, and he just carved them up. Um, and, you know, when Julio's clicking, you, like, you, you just can't let him get a free release off the line of scrimmage. And, and if that's what the Saints were doing and it was leading to some of those positive plays, and that's certainly a good sign that Julio is getting back to sort of peak Julio um, at this point in the season. By the way, did you notice when Julio, I think it was on third down, caught that crossing route, or crossing paradigm, I should say, and he ran for, they got tied up the three-yard line for some reason? This is my crazy memory again. It reminded me of his touchdown against the Jaguars during the rookie year when the Falcons won like 49 to nothing on Thursday Night Football. And I just remember Jones catching across the pair, and he, it was like at the 30-yard line, and he just started running. I'm like, somebody's going to tackle him, right? And nobody tackled him. I'm like, whoa. So this guy really has, was it, 4-3 speed? If you remember at the combine? Yeah, yeah. I just remember him scoring. It looked like something similar in this game. I know I'm going a little bit of a tangent, but... It's just those kind of moments where you're like, it's just free town. I was curious because I remember that Jaguars game vividly just in the sense that that was like the first time we really got to see him play in a slot. Was that the touchdown when he was lined up in the slot and and scored? I think so too. I just remember being across the pair and like he took the ball and there was like three Jaguars, Jaguar players that probably could have tackled him, but Hula just ran past all of them and went to the end zone untouched. Yeah, yeah. I just remember him in that game lining up in the slot and, and 
killing the Jaguars in that game. We're like, oh man, once once he starts playing in the slot a lot more, then it'll be amazing. We of course had to wait like three more years for that to be a regular feature in the Falcons' offense. But uh, you know, Falcons gonna Falcon, I guess. But uh, Mike Markey, Dirk Cutter, they just couldn't do it, man. They had to give Harry Douglas those snaps. Had to, had to. Uh, but yeah, let's not go down that path. Let's uh, let's let's celebrate. give love to another slot receiver, Justin Hardy. I was talking him up on Twitter a lot, and once again, I think whenever his name gets called upon, he delivers. You remember that game against Seattle? Uh, obviously, against Arizona, he had that crazy catch for Pearson. He made a couple of plays against the Rams as well, and I'm just happy for him because not every player could be a boom. Because given the draft class, you look at. Obviously, Beasley, Coleman, Jarrett, now Collins is emerging. Uh, all these players emerging into big stars, which is already is kind of de facto fifth receiver, even though he does get some snaps. But just to see him contributing and proving his value, it's very encouraging to see. I agree with that. You know, and I know people hear hear what I'm about to say and think, you know, because I have a, a, an already bias, and that's probably an accurate statement. But, like, I, I don't think there's any difference between him and Muhammad Sanu. Like I, I, I do feel like if, if you know, this Falcons offense had started, well, probably not because they wouldn't be as deep. But like if if you had switched those two guys out, you're not going to see that much of a difference. I, I do feel like Hardy is is one of the more underrated players on this team, just because the Falcons have so much varied wide receiver depth, and you know they have guys like Robinson and Gabriel who, who fit like that explosive sort of vertical screen pass niche that Hardy isn't doesn't really fit. And they already paying all this money to Mohamed Sanu to basically be this sort of quasi slot guy, quasi underneath possession receiver. And I do feel like Hardy could probably perform that just as ably as, as Sanu has this season. And, you know, I think Hardy is a very underrated blocker, um, probably our most consistent and reliable blocker uh, throughout the season. That He had a nice downfield block on, um, was it the Freeman? screen that Freeman had that went for like 30 yards or whatever it was? I think so, because it's funny on that place, Sidney actually lost Sterling more on a block, yet Freeman ran around them. Yeah. So, you know, and look, I, I know people are like, oh, you're just using this as a platform to bash Sanu while praising Hardy. And that's probably true. But, uh, you know, I, I do think Justin Hardy is a very underrated player. And I think we've seen, as Alan pointed out, the, the flashes of him here and there, you know, he hasn't been asked to sort of pull a lot of weight this year. And I think it's, you know, I think he, there's a lot of untapped potential beneath the surface uh, with him. And, you know, hopefully, you know, whether it's comes in the playoffs or in future seasons, hopefully we'll, we'll get to see that uh, ability come forward in the future. But uh, I think we saw a glimpse of it today. I think Sanu and Hardy both are excellent patient route runners. Obviously, looks criticized Sanu for his drops in Cincinnati. I think Sanu's hands have been better than expected this year. So, look, Hardy probably has better hands. But at the same time, I can't remember the last time Sanu dropped the pass. And he's made some great plays in traffic. And I think that's one thing where you could separate Sanu and Hardy is that Sanu does make plays in traffic. He's a good red zone option. I know Hardy scored on a red zone touchdown today, but still Moore's coverage. That's a lot to be desired, even though, once again, crazy extension by Hardy, just to keep possession and not letting the ball hit the ground before it reached the pylon, obviously. So, yeah, look, I think both are similar, but still, at least, you see him making plays in traffic and making some of those tough catches, given that 
you know, some plays where you see Ryan just throw it in the eye. I think it was a play against Kansas City where I don't know how he caught it. And I also think it was a, a, you could say a little bit more smoother. Like there's some times where you just see his route and it just comes off real smooth. Now I don't know how much significant goes into that because look, it only happens a few times a game. So, but I don't think there's a drastic difference. But Sanu does have some value. Oh, I don't want to sit here and say Sanu has no value. I just, you know, I I could sit here and, and we can go back and forth on, you know, who's better. I, I don't think the gap is, is, is as big as you think it is. But, look, it's fine. Like, Sanu does what he's asked to do. I don't have any, I, I don't have any complaints. You're right. You know, he struggled with some drops early in the season. You know, it's probably been, what, like 10 games since he dropped the pass, it seems like it. Um, so, like, you know. I don't want to be accused of tearing down Sanu just for the sake of, of praising Hardy. But, uh, I do think Hardy is, is really good and, you know, has, you know, one of the things I wrote about, um, this off season was just sort of given how Sanu was so much better in the slot than he was on the outside. And Hardy seems to be tailor made for the slot as opposed to an outside receiver. It was probably going to be a little difficult for this offense to maximize both of those players. Now, fortunately, Alec Robinson and Taylor Gabriel have come along and, and sort of mitigated any of those concerns going into the season. But I think as we've seen this season play out, you know, it seems like one or both of those guys tends to get marginalized a little bit. Like you saw it today. Sanu did make some nice plays, but you know, it was a good Justin Hardy day. And so it seemed like Sanu seemed to take a little bit of a backseat in today's game. And you go back to other games where Sanu's, you know, doing what he's doing and you're you're not seeing a whole lot of from Justin Hardy. And so, you know, that'll be, have to be something that the Falcons will have to work on to see if they can sort of, uh, manage that in, in, and maximize both players in future years. And, and hopefully Kyle Shanahan sticks around long enough to uh, make that a possibility. Uh, I kind of wave the white flag on uh, Kyle Shanahan coming back. I think, look, we'll see what happens with the coaching process, but I don't know how he doesn't get a head coaching job at this point. But I guess we'll see come late January or whenever that may be. But a couple of other Mentions I thought Babineau and Courtney Upshaw flashed a bit, which was good to see. Like that first drive, you just saw the interior line; they were making plays that you just haven't seen much of this year, minus Gray Jared, of course. So, I think that was encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Hageman too. I saw Hageman. Oh man, I I forget what the left guard's name is on New Orleans, but his play Hageman had like a two yard stop where he kind of he actually shed a block. He used his hands and. Uh, you sometimes forget, like, he's actually a pretty good athlete for his size, Hageman. And I remember making a stop there. I'm a little surprised he's still getting a lot of snaps, but I think that that's just because they're uh, slowly getting Adrian Claiborne back to speed. I, you don't see Claiborne having quite as many snaps as you see in the past. So mm-hmm. that's something they probably the monitor come playoff time because I do want to see Claiborne on the field more. I thought he showed a little bit more in this game. I want to see, obviously, all 22 see his full performance, but I saw flashing more than Carolina. He was on the ground as much, thankfully. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, I I agree with all that, so I don't have anything else to, to say on tap. And it was nice to see Babs make a couple of nice positive plays, you know, besides that one penalty he had. Yeah, that was a weird hold. Whenever it's defensive holding, it's so weird. But yeah. Between that and Courtney Upshaw getting slapped in the face <laughs> and getting cold. Look, I know some people are saying, look, he instigated. I've seen a lot worse instigation, and that wasn't called. Akeem Tlaib knows a thing or two about that. So to me, that penalty was bogus. I Look, I you know, 
a lot of a lot of criticism for officiating um, in this day and age. So I, you're 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 dead on with that one. I know, so. but you, just, you can't miss it. Like you slapped him in the face. Uh, look, uh, look. I mean, I, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago. It's like at this point in the season, complaining about officiating is just so old and tired. Like. I don't disagree with you. You're right. But it's just like, uh, yeah, it's bad officiating going on in the NFL. Well, you know, tell me what else is new. I'm mentioning this because it's funny. I know some people want us to talk about the the Saints getting up backdoor cover, but I'm not a degenerate gambler. I don't know anything about this cover. So shout out to our buddy Brad Roland, who does his own podcast <laughs> on this network for the Hawks. But whatever. Look, the Saints covered – Cousin Sal's angry. What are you going to do? It's football. And look, I, you know, you should have picked the Saints to begin with if if you were smart. To yeah, cover seven and a half, it was a lot. Yeah, you know, like in, in the shootouts like this, um, it's probably a, a good idea to take the underdog like this when you think it's going to be a shootout. Now, it didn't look like a shootout for a big chunk of this game, but uh, Saints get that backdoor cover. So, um, you know, I know m- many of you that are degenerate gamblers, and I'm I'm not one of them. But, uh, you know, if you were smart, you would have, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting pretty. The Falcons won. They got the second round by. I mean, they got the first round by. They they closed out the Georgia Dome in, in, in thrilling fashion. And you probably made a couple of money, a couple uh, hundred bucks. So uh, if, if if you've wrapped up your, you know, that's how you kicked off your 2017, then it's it might be a good year for you. Um, it's funny to me thinking back, like when the schedule first came out and we saw this game, or at least when I saw this game on the schedule, I was like, oh, Classic Falcons, they're going to lose the last game in the Georgia Dome to the Saints. That was not the case. So certainly um, I'm very happy ab- about that outcome. Yeah. I want to give Brad a shot because they report that Paul Millsap is likely not going to be with the Hawks after the season end. I think the Save Lions will be very depressed once the Falcons have a, hopefully a lengthy playoff run. We'll see what happens. So, Well, I'm, I'm curious if they wind up replacing Millsap, what, 2011 all-star that they will end up replacing him with like they did with Al Herford. Oh, I, man, I don't follow the NBA enough to <laughs> make that. Like, if this was like three years ago, I could totally think of somebody. But like, if, if you said 2004, like I could have gone with, I was going to say Sean Kemp, but that's like 1994. <laughs> God, I oh, mean, I lost. Oh, you know, I could have said Elton Brand. There you go. There you Before go, Elton Brand. Itself. Yeah, former Hawkins. So, so very best, whichever. Anyway, uh, we'll be back tomorrow to uh, have a more in-depth discussion about this game. Given that now they have a bye, so we don't, can't really talk about the playoffs. Although we'll probably talk about the potential opponents right now. It's Seattle, the Giants, and the winner of Detroit Green Bay. So we might get into that a little bit tomorrow. But Aaron, where can people find you? I am at Falk fans, and uh, for any of you guys expecting me to go off on Dan Quinn about not pulling the starters, I'll save that for tomorrow as well. Oh, boy. Uh, you can find me at Alan underscore Stirk. That's A-double-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. And to make tomorrow more positive, uh, I assume we'll talk about some of the legends that came, were there today. Very nostalgic, seeing Roddy White, Obi Mahaley, Keith Brooking. Uh, who am I missing right now? You, a lot of players were there. Dan Reeves was there. Oh man! So we'll probably get that tomorrow. Yeah, we'll our do special guest, which uh, we'll keep quiet for now. Yes, we'll we'll leave you guys in suspense, but uh, I'm sure most of you will enjoy him. Him. Yes. Oh, that's a hint. You know, it's not going to be Gina because that's the only <laughs> woman that comes on the show, basically. But uh, 
2017 New Year. We're gonna get. We're gonna focus on getting more women on the show. Yeah, this has been our message for three years now. It's a process. <laughs> It's like the Falcons pass rush. We're just, we're building towards. Something. Yeah, we're building towards it. We just need that. We just need to find that big Vic Beasley, um, you know, Vic Beasley in the skirt. That'll that'll be the the linchpin. Oh, all right, all right. I don't know. I'm bad. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I had to end this on a sour note. Oh man, typical of this podcast to do that. But anyway, uh, hope you guys had a great New Year. Thank you for the support. And playoffs are finally here. Get hyped. Yes, now it's time for Aaron to be, get excited about things because I've been waiting for this for basically eight weeks. Yep, that's great. See you tomorrow. See you guys tomorrow. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. By singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.